0: Vampires in space Hi. Um <clears throat> What the hell is going on with this episode? I gotta be I gotta be a hundred hundred percent honest with you guys. This would probably not be a lamentation, but it would definitely be approaching Lamentation territory if the whole episode was just the You know, I'm not sure whether to call it the A-plot or the B-plot. I'm probably going to call it the A-plot just because more time is spent on it. You know how many notes I have about the space vampire thing? Three. And it takes up the majority of the episode. But there's nothing to talk about. Okay, so, she stimulates the creative part of the brains, then she feeds on it and kills people, and then she moves on. So she latches on to Jake and tries to feed on his neural energy and then tries to kill him and then moves on. And she escapes, of course, because she's an energy being. Because, of course, she's a friggin' energy being. Why wouldn't she be an energy being? And she's creepy as hell. Although she's played by Meg Foster, which, absolute credit for that casting choice, because Meg Foster is really good at playing someone incredibly creepy. (laughs) She does an excellent job with that. I would also say that some of her actual literary advice is good stuff. You can all... One of the most important things that I've always found, it's it's like one of the first lessons I teach writers, uh, if they come to me for advice, is write. Get it on the paper. You can, and indeed should, and probably will, go back and edit it. But if you just edit, and then re-edit, and then re-re-edit, you're going to get into a loop. And you need to get momentum. That's my that's, that's my experience, of course, and everyone is different. But in my opinion, most people need to get some momentum going with their writing. Now, I know a couple of people who can sit down and write, edit, write, edit, write, edit, and that is their momentum. But in general, the right part is the important part. Get that stuff on paper, so to speak. Speaking of which, oh my god, they act, she actually has real paper? That's so crazy! Even though he could have totally gotten that out of the, the replicator if he really wanted to. As a quick aside, I like how addictive being creative apparently is. Because I understand that completely. It's actually very fun and engaging when I actually have a chance, you know, in my copious spare time, to actually be creative working on songs or, you know, drawings or designs or games or whatever. There's a reason for a while there, one of the hobbies I would do is just designing new game systems. (laughs) But anyways... And I only have one last qu- thing to share about this episode. I have a quote over here, which I'm going to recite to you. <laughs> so, originally this episode was actually going to be about the baby, and it was going to be, oh my god, it's my baby, and it's your baby, Odo. And that was the, the gist of the original take, and they were going to turn this, oh, excuse me, they are going to turn this, this is how boring this episode is, or how boring I am, into a romance vehicle where we're going to look at Rom and Lita, Sisko uh, and Cassidy, and O'Brien and Keiko. And of course, Luxana and Odo. And for whatever reason, they just decided to throw that out. Now, they spent six days workshopping that. Six days. Which is insane amount of time. So apparently the story idea just wasn't working for whatever reason. So they threw that out and they're like, all right, fine, space vampire. We're going to bring in a space vampire. Now, I want to share this quote. <clears throat> According to Ronald D. Moore, the quote they got was, well, okay, this is a quote from Moore. Sorry, let me re-clarify here. It's actually in the companion right down there. I should have just pulled up the book for this. And I quote... <clears throat> The notion of this exotic, beautiful older woman who comes to you and gets excited by watching you write is, like, the most ridiculous idea. Only a writer could come up with that. Think of it. You're sitting there writing and she's just entranced. And we watched the scene in dailies and we thought, are we insane? What are we doing? How did we get here? And I have to agree with the producers on that one. So here's the thing. You ever watch someone create something? I bet you have. Um at least to some extent or another. It's actually become a very common thing with the advent of streaming and the Internet in general. But I'm sure you have even in person, right? Someone who really appreciates music can really appreciate watching someone play. Someone who really appreciates art can really appreciate someone painting or or sketching or drawing. Someone who really appreciates crafting can really appreciate someone sculpting or, or sawing or whatever. But the distinction with all of these things is very important. You are obtaining both a visual and, in some cases, an audio um, input. So I should say, sorry, I, that sentence is wrong. You are taking in visual and sometimes audio input from what's happening. You're basically seeing it being made, being crafted. You can't do that with writing. Like, okay, I'm going to simulate what I'm, what I'm talking about just on the off chance you don't get it, okay? I am going to actually start writing something from a story I'm working on. So, for real here, okay? <sighs> Have I made my point yet? Even on the off chance that I was doing it like this, so you can actually see what I'm writing you're not actually getting a piece of it. Like, unless you're squinting, basically, you're not, want- you're not getting anything out of it. Because you can't see the words being written, and you can't, you can't hear the words being All you're hearing is the, you know, the- that thing right there, right? So there's nothing happening for the viewer. It's not a spectator creation, if-, if you follow me. Now, I'm sure there are some people somewhere who would really like to watch, you know, this, but that's in the minority, I guarantee it simply because there's so little to be drawn from it for the spectator. Anyways, let's talk about the actual story, shall we? Which is the Loxana thing. Now, as of recording this, I have not yet watched The Dark Page, which was... Uh, the other possibly good Loxana episode. I've talked about this before, how I actually have a lot of respect and you know, I really enjoy Major Barrett, but for the most part, Loxana is someone that I just want off my camera because she's obnoxious and overbearing and rude, and I don't like any of those three things. Now, she was okay in the previous DS9 episode, which I actually don't remember the name of off the top of my head, but the one where she and Odo had some connections. She's actually really good in this one. And I think the key distinction, and this is so important, is that she's not rude, obnoxious, or overbearing. I mean, she still comes across as someone who is Loxana. You know, grandiose, right? But instead she is, and this is critical, considerate. Even at the end of the episode, she has this bit where she's like, I'm going to go ahead and head back to Beta as the first transport I can. Because she understands how private Odo is, and she doesn't want to impose on him consideration and it's strange I have to comment on that but that's just so rare from this character but it was nice to see her like this legitimately we see in this a woman who is understanding respectful and still maintains the the spark that makes her her Now she is toned down a bit you know because of the whole depression thing but there's a lot of little tidbits in this episode that really actually work quite well for me like okay so she comes in she's super pregnant I had this weird thought, it's a, str- it's a pity that Timison actually, you know, killed himself, because that would have been an interesting, nice, you know, callback, but anyways. And her mood is, of course, contagious, <laughs> like, really contagious. Nice note, the, the, the background noise is very quiet. But then she sees Odo, and she pretty much immediately, her, her mood turns up, right? And so o- she goes with the walk with Odo, and two, two important things happen in short succession. She tells Odo about Kestra. Now keep in mind, she was so adamantly against telling anyone or even acknowledging to herself that Kestra existed that she almost killed herself, not in a suicidal way, but in a her-brain-was-self-destructing kind of a way. <laughs> the fact that she is willing to be open about Kestra to Odo is very indicative of how comfortable she feels around him. And then he invites her, well, he allows her to go into to his room. Now, she comes up with a statement as to why that has to happen, but he is nevertheless comfortable with her being in his room. Up until this point in time, I would be willing to bet that one other person, eh, two other people had been in his room. One was the Hadar whose name I don't remember right now, please forgive me. They don't even name him until Star Trek Online. And the other is Kira. That's it. So the fact that she's willing to open up about Kestra, and he's willing to open up about his room, is very indicative of the connection these two characters have, because, well... Both of them really are, in their own ways, outcasts, as I talked about last episode. It's just the main difference is that she deliberately pushes herself away to be an outcast, and he, by his very nature, is an outcast, especially now that Word of the Dominion has spread. So she goes in, and the first thing she notices is the thing, she's like, oh, this is for shapeshifting, right? Because it just makes so much sense. And there's a lot of really good chemistry between the actors as well. I want to give special praise to that. I also want to mention that Livingston, David Livingston, worked in this episode, who is honestly probably my favorite Star Trek director. I've commented on him so many times. He's right up there. No, I'd say he's, he's my favorite. No, he really is. He's an amazing director. Um, I love Frakes, I love Burton, and I love uh, Les Lando. And one other director I can't think of the name of right now. Please forgive me. Uh, it's, the, it's the woman who did a lot of work on TNG. But anyway, Livingston really does manage to pull a lot out of the scene. It's a very crowded set with very little room for the characters to move. And he still manages to make the movements of the characters as they're rotating around Odo's room very smooth and fluid. as if, Ironically enough, as if there is no obstacle to the camera, even though we know there actually is. And that the, there's no obstacle to the characters, even though we know there actually is. So some very, very good blocking. I know it's a weird thing to comment on. And so then she you know, she notices this, and she is very forthright about Kira. Have you gotten over her? Don't worry, I'm not going to throw myself at you if you say yes. And notice Odo doesn't fully answer that question. Instead he says Kira has moved on. And Lwaxana, understanding, sa- just kind of nods and says, well, don't do what I did. That's <laughs> all I'm going to tell you. Don't do what I did. And then they start playing hide and seek. There's just something... It's, it's almost a childish game, and yet at the same time you can see how it would be engaging, even for an adult, because it's not just normal hide-and-seek. He's a frickin' shapeshifter! So it adds a new de- uh, de- layer to it. Especially since it means she is not ashamed of him, and he does not have to be ashamed of himself. Which goes to what he talks about at the end of the episode. For all of the many problems Oksana Troy has, mostly over on TNG, because she's been pretty cool in DS9, the fact of the matter is, she accepts him as he is. Even at the end of the episode, she flat out says, I love you. I am in love with you. But you are not in love with me, and you never will be. You know, it, 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 positing the idea, which has been positive many times in real life, that that kind of romantic love is or isn't binary, right? Which makes sense. And she kind of accepts that, and she says, even though we could try to make this work, and we could, I would try to make you want me the way I want you. I would fail. I would resent you for it. And our friendship is more important than that. That is a level of acceptance, a level of t- of understanding and respect, which is awesome. It's, it's something I've seen many times in real life, but it's actually quite rare. I see that kind of a thing in fiction. So... You know, they have a great dynamic between each other. And then Michael Ansara shows up, and that just made my day. I'm like, okay, yeah, I officially like this plot. For those of you not aware, uh, he has played several roles over the years. Uh, he played Kang, of course, in the original series, which is probably what most Star Trek fans remember him of. I-, I gotta admit, every time I hear that voice, there's only two things I think of. The Techno-Mage over in Babylon 5, and Mr. Freeze. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? He's a great actor. I love him. Anyways, so he shows up. And he pretty much, he is his usual awesome self. He manages to be simultaneously imposing and sympathetic. It's very, it's a really unique balance the man is really good at. <laughs> I, I just kept expecting him to say, you're victims. Anyways, so he's, uh, he, he comes down and he just kind of approaches Odo straight. And there's this wonderful bit where he goes over and says, I, I can imagine how, how embarrassing and humiliating this might be. You should probably give up. And then Odo starts giving his love proclamation and then, you know, I don't even remember his character name actually, Ansara. Michael Ansara comes up and says, this is ridiculous. You could be saying this about any woman. This is not a a proclamation of Luxon. And then Odo honestly responds, no, it is. And then he opens up about the fact that she was the first one to get him to open up. And if you pay attention, that kind of tracks. It's not complete because they didn't plan this. But if, but if you remember, I've been quietly pointing out throughout these ruminations as Odo is becoming more and more social. Little bits and pieces, never, never the main plot, but always little tiny side stories before whatever thread of the week shows up. Where Odo is talking with people more, hanging out at lunch more, getting breakfast with Garrick, doing the whole, you know, the drink thing. All these little things he's been doing to become more sociable with the people who want to be his friends. Now, that's important, because all of them were willing to be his friend, at least all of the main characters of this cast of this show. But it wasn't until Odo realized and, and was willing to open up and accept that that they were, willing, they were capable of being let in. And in character, obviously, it's being posited that that's all because of Loxana, because she just accepted him, just like that. Yeah. There we go. Right at the beginning. Yeah, I know she's actually been in two episodes, but let's be honest. We're all going to ignore the, the second one. Anyways. <clears throat> and there's something wonderful about that. Something wonderfully human, you know? Something very honest about the way that's presented. And I think Odo basically meant it. In real life, there's a lot of reasons to get married. I don't mean legally, by the way. Although there's a lot of reasons to get legally married too. But what I mean is, there's a lot of reason to say this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. I, I don't have a better word for that, so I'm just going to use the phrase. "There's the person I want to spend the rest of my life with." Okay, we're going to call that the personing from now on. It's the new word. Write it down. It's going to be a test later. The there's a lot of reasons to do that. Some people say you should only do it with someone you are truly in love with. Like, there should be, like, tr- true romantic bliss. Some people say that you should only do it with someone you are very close friends with and happen to have a physical connection with. Some people say you should do it just for frickin' cuz, you know, with, with no particulars uh, one way or the other. Some people say you should only do it if it's a smart match, if it's going to help either you or their particular presentation or direction or where you're going with your lives, either politically or financially or creatively or support Or in terms of a family. You know, some people think you should do it because you happen to have a kid together. Some people think you should do it, you know, blah, 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 blah. In this episode, I think Odo was willing to really marry Loxana, not because he is in love with her, as Loxana says, not because he truly has the kind of romantic feelings for her, but rather because he feels so comfortable with her due to the nature of their friendship. Now, in real life, I've got to be 100% blunt, and some of my cynicism's going to leak out here a little bit. That's a good match. Now, Loxana's right. It would lead to resentment eventually, assuming she pushed it, and assuming she wasn't willing to let go of her own romantic feelings in return for him. But that's better than a lot of people tend to get in real life, in my observations and experience. Because these two people really do legitimately connect on a friend level, and the two of them really do have more of a familial bond. And so I kind of get Odo's perspective here. He's never really been through this kind of thing before. And he's willing to try it. He's willing to embrace it. And you can see how he's a little bit thrown off when Loxana says, oh, even I believed you. And he's just, yes, yes, right, party. Also, I like Quark's thing. I've always been a romantic. He really has. That's the funny thing. We know this. Quark actually is a very romantic person. It's very funny when you think about it. Anyways. But then... (laughs) I, I, I don't actually know what else to add to that as strange as that may sound Odo is like I'm willing to give this a try and Loxana who has far more experience is the one who says no because she knows herself and knows she would try to push that that she wouldn't let that go which would lead to resentment and she does not want to damage that friendship I kind of wish that friendship had come up in the future. It would have been really cool, for example. Slight spoilers. But all I'm going to say is it would be really cool if, you know, Major Barrett was able to come in in the last few episodes of Deep Space Nine because of the events that happened there, you know? Some kind of acknowledgement of that would have been awesome. But unfortunately, historically speaking, this is the end of Major Barrett on Star Trek. Now, I'm pretty sure... I'm almost positive that Dark Page is something we'll be covering later, so that'll be our last look at Major Barrett. But as far as historically speaking, this is the last time she showed up on the show in a visual form. She would keep doing the voice for some time, obviously. It's strange, because she ends on quite a high note, doesn't she? At least I think so. You know, Again, two of her Deep Space Night* appearances have been, frankly, quite good. Regardless, I hope you've enjoyed my brief thoughts. Sorry for being so short, but really, I have nothing to say about the space vampire. (laughs) I'll see you next time, guys.